Lydia's conversion in Philippi. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neopolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay, if you move further forwards, Philippians chapter 1, which is found on page 1178. Starting to read from verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending on confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please keep your Bibles open, because we're going to be looking at this uh, passage in uh, Philippians. But as we begin a new series on this book of Philippians, or this letter to the Philippians, um, let's just pray together. (coughs) Father, thank you that you speak uh, into our lives by the power of the Spirit. And Lord, we need your help. So please, Lord, this morning, would you open up our hearts and minds to Understand more what it means to know you, Jesus, and to follow you, and to share your love with others. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his glory. Amen. Oh, Isaac, can you turn the lights off? So we might be able to see that a bit more. It's, can you turn the sun off? No, you can't. Okay, fair enough. Um, last Monday evening, we held our prayer meeting um, uh, on the other side of Fishergate Hill in the Hartington and uh, uh, Christchurch uh, area of our parish. 
And we've done this now three times. Instead of praying inside here within our walls, in the safety of our church building, we've gone out and um, prayed in the streets. And uh, a couple of, well, beginning of August when we went out, this is um, a picture of Gordon and Heather. I don't know whether you can quite make it, make it out. But they're actually kneeling down and planting flowers. Um, and I was very moved by Gordon's prayer. There's Gordon kneeling down. Uh, taking a plant and placing it into the, the damp soil. And he prayed this very simple prayer. Lord, may your word take root in people's lives. And that's what we're praying. We're praying that once more there will be a flourishing <laughs> congregation in that part of our parish. Now some of you will remember uh, that this area used to have used to be a separate parish and had its own parish church. I hope you can make out that image of, can you see it? Christ Church, a little bit, good. Um, Christ Church, um, as many of you know, was built in 1836 and was a huge building. It could seat up to 560 people downstairs and 440 people in the galleries. Someone writing about it in the late 1800s described the church building in this way. They said, it's a stout mass of undiluted limestone. It's devoid of a steeple. It will never be blown down. It couldn't be lifted in one piece and will nearly stand forever. Well, as you can see, sadly, the building was knocked down uh, in the 1970s. It was demolished and only a little bit of it was left. The two towers, you can see, at the back of the building is left. And that's been incorporated into County Hall, where there's a chapel where we go and pray uh, every Monday morning. Um, so um, I also came across another description of the very first vicar um, of that church, of Christ Church. And his name was the Reverend T. Clark. And the Reverend T. Clark was a kindly, this is what they write about him, was a kindly, sincere, quiet, moving gentleman who visited poor people regularly and wasn't afraid of going down on his knees in the houses. He's remembered for his quaint, virtuous preciseness, his kindly, plodding ways, his love of writing with quill pens and spelling words in the old-fashioned style his generosity, and no aspersions about the current vicar, his mild maidenly fidgetiness, <laughs> his veneration for everything evangelical, I like that bit, and his dislike of putting an E after his name and his courteous manners. A very Victorian description, but I was struck by the phrase, he wasn't afraid of going down on his knees in the houses. Well, you might be thinking, well, that's what they did. That's what the Victorian vicars did. Well, it's interesting because the, the, the vicar that um, came after the Reverend T. Clark without an E was succeeded by his son-in-law. And this is what they said about, wrote about vicar number two. He likes visiting the fold who are well off. He wouldn't object to tea and crumpet and a conversation with the better end of his flock any day. <laughs> he says many a good thing about uh, people in poverty, but he'd look at the floor before going down upon it like his predecessor. He thinks that flags and boards should either be very clean or carpeted before good trousers 
touch them. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it, how we have been led to pray in this way, getting down on our knees and praying like Reverend Clark. I shared this story with somebody this morning, this, sorry, this week in, uh, before a prayer meeting, and, and they prayed this prayer. They said, what floorboards is God calling us to kneel on? What floorboards is God calling us to kneel on? But what strikes me about Reverend Clark is his passion for prayer, his connection with the community and desire to work with them, and his concern for their spiritual growth. And this morning, as we look at these first few verses in Philippians chapter 1, I've got three headings, and they all begin with P, prayer, partnership, and progress. But first of all, let's just have a quick look at some of the background uh, to this letter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you remember when we used to receive handwritten letters? Well, maybe some of you still get them, but they seem to have been taken over, don't they, by, by the email. But there's something special about receiving a letter that somebody's written by hand. And the book of Philippians is actually a letter which the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, which is in now, the city still exists, it's in modern-day Greece. And the opening sentence of the passage um, sets the tone for the whole letter. As one writer says, it's a letter from a friend to his friends. It says, and actually I want to, no I don't, I'm going to, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons. You know, when we write a letter, we on the envelope, we always start by saying who the letter's to, and then we write where they live, and then inside the, the envelope, there's usually isn't there, a piece of paper where we write a greeting, and then we may put our name on the back of the envelope. That's how we tend uh, to address our letters. But in the ancient world, letter writing had a different protocol. So you start by saying who you are as the writer of the letter. Then you write the recipient's name, who the letter is to, and then you write a greeting. And if you want to see an example of this, of this if you're taking notes, look up Acts 23, 20, 26, because there's an example of a letter written in this way. But what we, do, we see is this pattern of writing a letter in the letter to the Philippians. But what's particularly of note about the way that Paul writes their address is that at each reference, at each stage of writing their address, he's referring to God. And it's a reminder to us that the Christian life is transformed by Christ. It even affects the way we write letters or send emails. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, and they describe themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but those who are, and I've written in my preparation, I've read that they actually say the word servant is actually taken from the Greek word doulos, and doulos is better translated slave than servant. You see, a servant can choose who they serve, but a slave is the possession of his master forever. And that's how Paul sees his relationship with Christ. And remember here, Paul isn't writing from a beach in Italy. He's at his majesty's service in chains for the gospel. He's in prison. So we've seen who the letter is from, 
Um, but who's it addressed to? Well, look in the second part of verse 1. It says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the church leaders. Notice that this letter is addressed to everyone. Not just the leaders, it's for everybody within the church. And it's for us as well. And notice that the people in the church are referred to as holy people. And you might think, well, I don't really consider myself to be a holy person. But you see, this is from God's perspective. Because when we become a Christian, when we receive Christ into our lives, God sees Christ in us. And so we are holy because we have Christ in us. You can't be a saint without Christ. And of course, the Bible's idea of holiness is not to live in a monastery somewhere, separated from everybody else. No, Paul says that they are in Christ in Philippi. And again, the commentators, people who write about this, they say that actually that word where it says at Philippi, it should say in Philippi. In Christ, in Philippi. We are not called as Christians to live in a bubble, in seclusion. We are to be in Christ, in our workplace, in Christ, in our community. And Paul ends uh, his opening to the letter with the same Greeting he uses in every one of his 13 letters. Look in verse 2. His greeting is grace and peace. That's at the heart of the Christian message and the Christian life. We all need peace and grace every day. So that's just a bit of background to the letter before we start on our P's. And our first P is uh, for prayer. Here is Paul. He's under house arrest, probably in Rome, chained up. And his thoughts turn to prayer. He connects with Christ. Look in verse 3. I'm going to read verse 3 from the message. It says, Paul says, Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. So here's our first lesson in prayer. We are told to give thanks to God for each other. My dad always used to say that if you're out in town and you see another Christian, perhaps a little way away, not so that you can go and talk to them, but you just see them crossing the road, just give thanks for them. Just silently pray to them. Thank you for that person. Thank you for all you're doing in their lives. Do you do that? It's a good discipline to have. I wonder whether you are somebody who prays. Do you know what it means to be connected with heaven? Uh, In the book that I was talking about earlier, um, Pete Gregg, who's the author, he says that the word prayer derives from the Latin word precarious. And he says, we pray because life is precarious. And Paul, who's a writer of this letter to the Philippian church, Learned this on his missionary journey. He's out traveling, uh, spreading the message of Jesus with his team. And uh, if you want to read the story of how the church was planted, you can read it in Acts chapter 16. And, and at that point, uh, just before they go to Philippi, Paul and his team uh, just don't know where to go next. Every door seems to be closed to them. But then Paul has a vision of a man um, from Macedonia who's saying, come over and help us. So Paul is redirected in his travels by the Spirit of Jesus and they go into Europe and they plant the first church in Europe, which is in Philippi. 
and it all starts with a vision. And when they arrive in Philippi on the Sabbath, they go down to the river in the city, a bit like here. We've got a river quite close to us uh, because they know that at that time, that's where the Jewish people used to go and gather to pray down by the river. And what they find out is that God's already been at work in the lives of people there because they meet a, a, a lady called Lydia in Acts 16.14. It says she was already a worshipper of God. The Lord had opened up her heart to respond to Paul's message. It's great, isn't it, when we take a step of faith and we find that God is already in that situation that we've been praying about. I wonder whether you, do you pray for the people that you work with, with your colleagues? Do you pray for your neighbours? Are you praying for the people in Hartington Road and Christchurch area of our, para, of our parish? Because when we do, we discover that God is actually already at work in these people's lives. The former Archbishop of Canterbury described mission as joining in with what God is already doing. And Lydia responds to the message of the gospel and all of her extended family and household do as well and they're baptised. And she opens up her home to Paul and his companions. And if you read Acts, read Acts 16, you'll, you'll read the, the story of how Paul and Silas are arrested and put in prison. But when they're released, they go to Lydia's house to meet with all the brothers and sisters. So clearly it's become a place where the church meets. No wonder Paul says in verse 1, I thank God every time I remember you. He's recalling all these instances, the people that he met and how their lives were changed. This letter is a great way to learn how to pray for each other. Paul models how to pray. And he does it by saying, by beginning, by thanking God for each other and praying with joy for each other. But where does this joy come from? Well, that's where we come to our second P. It comes from partnership. In verse Paul, verse 4, Paul lets us into the secret of his joy. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We all want to be happy, don't we? I was um, out for a drink with a couple of vicars recently, and uh, one of them said to the other two of us, he said, oh, they said, are you happy? Strange question. And I said, well... Well, actually, it was, it was the day that I'd taken um, a funeral here for a young man who'd taken his own life. It had been a very, very sad day. We'd had over 200 people squeezed in here, and the grief and the pain were etched onto people's faces. Young people were distraught and in floods of tears as they remembered their friend. And I told the two vicars about my day and how hard it was to stand in front of so many young people not used to going to church or singing. How could I say anything that would be, that bring them any comfort? But I said, you know, my sadness was mixed with joy because together with Pat and Andy and Heather and Tina and Matthias, we were able to serve in that situation and we were able to share the message of hope that we had in Jesus. So I told my vicar friend, yeah, I was kind of happy because I was able, it was a joy, more joy than happy because of the privilege of being able to share the hope that we have in Jesus alongside that deep sadness that just a, we just felt a little bit of the sadness that the family and the friends were going through. You see, Christian joy isn't restricted to our circumstances. We can find joy in the most extraordinary and unlikely places. 
like Paul did in prison. And also in partnership as we spread the gospel and share the gospel with others. As we give up our time to serve others with joy. Sharing the hope of Jesus with each other brings a surprising joy even in the midst of sadness. Like having a picnic in the rain. Remember last Sunday? Or planting bulbs on a dark and misty evening. It creates a connection of sharing God's grace as we work together in partnership. So I encourage you to ask yourself the question, are you in partnership with others in serving Christ in this parish? I urge you, get connected in shared ministry. Discover the joy of partnership in the gospel. Lydia, she seemed to understand this. Um, as she offered up her home. She said, come and stay at my house, she urged Paul and his companions. And opening up our homes can be a way to express that partnership in the gospel. Praying for each other is another practical expression of partnership. On the day of the funeral um, last week, Liz contacted me um, from China to say that she was praying, and she shared a verse with me from the Psalms. And it was actually a verse that confirmed what I prepared to speak on that morning and that just encouraged me taking time to pray and I know lots of people do that here send messages use whatsapp just to encourage each other in our faith journeys together but Paul also longs to see uh, the church grow and so we come to our final P P for progress some of you here are governors um, at our local church school. I know some of you have been governors in the past, perhaps at other schools um, as well as at St. Stephen's. And um, as a governor, I've learned that um, my prime concern is for the well-being of the children. Uh, and part of that is knowing whether the children are making progress. And nowadays, they have a whole, whole host of ways of finding out through lots of data which I don't particularly enjoy, but there you go, um, to demonstrate how the children are making progress. But what I've learned is that progress doesn't necessarily mean that all the children reach the same point academically. Because what you have to do is recognise where the child started from. And then if you recognise where they started from, then you can evidence how they made progress. They may not all get to the same point. And uh, I think that's the same with the church, isn't it? We're not all in the same place, are we, in our Christian journeys? We need to remember where we started. Because it's all about growing, isn't it, as a Christian? About progressing in our faith. We need to be careful that we don't write each other off because we're perhaps not at the stage where we think we ought to be. Just remember where we started. In verse 9, Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You're probably thinking, like I am, of our strap line here at St. Stephen's, learning to love as Jesus does. May your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. We want to learn more about love here at St. Stephen's, loving Jesus, loving each other, loving our community. And here's a prayer we can use for ourselves and each other. It's a good prayer to, prayer to pray because God, you see, he's a completer finisher. He's not like me with my 
botched attempts at DIY. Just ask Irene, she'll tell you the details. Starting projects, projects and then giving up. God doesn't give up on us. When he starts a project, he's going to keep it going. And that's true in our lives. God won't give up on you. If you're thinking this morning that God's given up on you, he hasn't. He will finish the job that he started. In verse 6, he says, Confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. And you know, the other thing about God working in us is that God could do it all on his own, but he doesn't. He dis- he's chosen to do it with our cooperation. We're back in partnership again, aren't we? He expects that we cooperate with the process, that we intentionally choose to read our Bibles, intentionally choose to pray and connect with him every day, intentionally choose to serve him in some way, to encourage one another, to give thanks to God for each other. And as we do that, we become partners with him of the work that he's doing in our lives. So as we draw to a close, let's just be quiet before him and just think, perhaps, what is God saying to you this morning? Maybe it's about prayer. Maybe it's about partnership. Or maybe it's about progress. But we thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. The work you started in our lives, you are going to complete. And that you call us, Lord, to intentionally choose to walk with you, to connect with you, to listen to you, to serve alongside each other. Oh, Lord, take us deeper in our faith. Maybe it, may it be a faith that's authentic, a faith that's real, faith that makes a difference in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our workplace, that we might glorify you in everything we seek to do. In Jesus' name, amen.